We'll kick those tires and start that virtually fake fire. We are camping remotely and live from a brisk, crisp, and very cool, I'm sure, Dallas Fortress is a Pro Bowl running back who unfortunately did not play for the University of Southern California, but instead gave his allegiance to some fringe college in the northern part of the state called Cal. I welcome Justin Forsett, who has played for as many teams in the NFL as he has yards rushed. So it was an honor for you to be here. Justin, thanks for joining us, man. Man, thanks for having me, Ryan. It's a pleasure. Absolutely, man. So I do one thing I noticed. Uh, obviously, we're going to get to all your accolades, your entrepreneurial journey. You're quite an impressive fellow. Um, I, I was surprised. So you, you actually have been moved around to a bunch of NFL teams when you huh. played. It was real. I was, as I was researching you, I thought, wow, like, did you just start leasing at that point? <laughs> so as far as renting homes, yeah. I'm curious, you jumped all over the country, man. Sure. No, no, it was a crazy, crazy journey. Uh, but yeah, fired, uh, six times, played on seven different teams in nine years. So I got my travel miles in. There you go, man. Uh, was that tough? Like, you know, emotionally, I'm curious as an athlete, like you kind of like, you want to be like a Peyton and just like live in Indianapolis. But like when you're, you know, for some players, it's the journey is you just, you know, it's, it's a business and you're cut, you moved on to somewhere else and you kind of just got to roll with it. Yeah, you know, it's tough, uh, you know, especially when you got a family, kids, wife that you, you know, you know, it's kind of the finding roots, the building connection in one city, and then you got to uproot them and move them to the next. Uh, but as far as me, um, of course, I wanted to stay with you. I was drafted by the Seahawks, so I wanted to stay there my entire career. Uh, that didn't happen. And after, you know, a couple times, it happened a few times early on in my career. I was just like, I just got to make the most of my opportunity and use it as something that, uh, uh, you know, I see as a blessing where I can make more relationships, build more relationships, net, uh, network more and have more connections throughout the city and throughout the country um, uh, that I was in. So I try to make the most of it. All right. So you hail from Lakeland, Florida, where it's nice and cool, obviously, <laughs> and playing football and then moved to Arlington, Texas. So you've been acclimated to intense weather. Um, but uh, you grew up in a pretty small town, right? Yeah, small town, uh, 3,000 people, little city called Mulberry, Florida. Um, not a lot of people make it out to accomplish their dreams and goals and aspirations in life. Uh, our big industry there is phosphate mining. So normally you leave high school, you can go right into that that space. Or uh, There's a large grocery store that is uh, in a neighboring city that's headquartered in a, a city called Lakeland, Florida, called Publix, Publix Grocery. And uh, so that was another big uh, avenue for folks uh, after after high school. Absolutely. All right. So, Justin, you grew up in a really small town with 3,000 people. Yep. Uh, your dad is a minister, if I read correctly. Is that accurate? Yes, correct. Okay. So did you, was faith sort of, I, I know you've been very outspoken about your faith. Was that something that was optional? Uh, or was it something like, hey, this is our house. We're going to serve the Lord. I'm, I'm always curious when people grew up Christian or to when it actually became kind of uh, real for them. For sure. I mean, I had no choice in the matter of as far as like going to church. Uh, I mean, we were in church constantly. My dad uh, on Sundays was preaching and I played the drums uh, in church. So I was there in the services uh, throughout the week, Bible study, rehearsals, uh, choir rehearsals, those things. I was there and uh, there was no choice in the matter. Uh, but as far as like my faith uh, um, and when I really received it for myself, it was around the age of 12. Um, where I made that decision to give my life to, to Christ and um, 
and it was my personal decision. So that's awesome. And then no looking back ever since then, huh? No looking back, man. Uh, it's been uh, it's been an amazing journey, man. God has been faithful. Oh man! Uh, so did you? When you look back, did you ever think you would play in the NFL? I mean, obviously you were a fantastic star player uh, in high school, but did you ever think you'd get to where you were? Oh, for sure. Uh, always believed I was going to make it to the NFL. Uh, so much so, I remember they would always have like people come into our class, and uh, when I was young, uh, whether it was, I, I remember this vividly in uh, middle school where someone came in and gave uh, statistics on how many people are going to make it to the NFL or professional ranks. And it was like less than 1%. And, um, and I know just like when I hear that information, I always received it as, okay, but I'm the exception and I'm going to make it. And uh, there's nothing that's going to be going to be able to stop me. So uh, I always believed. Now the main the main, I guess, detraction that they would contest was your issue was you were just small, right? They said, hey, too small yeah, to play. Yeah. Yeah, when you heard that, did, <laughs> uh, did that fuel you to just be like, you know what? I'm just going to run harder, run faster, knock people out, like just knock people out more? Yeah, man. It definitely was fueled to the fire, to the passion, <clears throat> to the work ethic. Uh, I knew that I had to do more. I wasn't, uh, you know, I was realistic. Uh, and self-aware that, you know, I wasn't the biggest, the strongest, fastest guy. So I had to put in more work and I just used that as fuel to the fire. Oh, man. And then we have a story that's apocryphal and debated, but uh, you were you avoided disaster. You almost played for the Fighting Irish and narrowly avoided that and went on to play for some uh, junior college in Berkeley, uh, Cal. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, was that, uh, was that an emotional roller coaster? the recruitment process? I know for a lot of people, it's a lot of fun, but for you, was it, was it frustrating given how successful you were and then just sort of the, uh, ambivalence you were getting on the, on the college scholarship front? Man, super frustrating. Uh, you know, I felt like I did everything I could do in high school. Uh, I had won two state championships, had a lot of rushing yards. I want to say maybe in the, by my last two years in in uh, in Texas, when we moved, ended up moving to Arlington, Texas, to play my my uh, my last uh, my my junior and senior year, uh, having like close to five thousand yards, rushing yards over sixty touchdowns in two years, and uh, my my quarterback was ranked in the country. My receiver was ranked number four in the country at the time, and uh, we we're getting scout, scouts coming by, and again they were just saying, "Man, you're not big enough, fast enough, or strong enough," and um, yeah, so I would get you know people that were interested. Um, but not really weren't weren't willing to give me that offer. So, you know, when Notre Dame told me, man, we want to give you a scholarship, I was excited. I was thrilled. Uh, you know, I was thinking like, man, it just all makes sense that I'm going to Notre Dame. I was thinking about uh, Rudy. <laughs> yes. I was like, man, I'm the black Rudy. It just makes sense <laughs> that I'm going to the uh to Notre Dame, Golden Domer touchdown, Jesus. I was just I was so excited. So when that week before <laughs> signing day he called and told me that they didn't need me anymore. I was crushed. I mean, I remember going down in my basement, crying my eyes out and just praying to God and trying to ask him, like, what else do I need to do? Like, what? I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. Um, and I just remember just getting up from that conversation and that prayer and time in my basement and uh, just like, man, God, I trust you. Um, I know my future looks bleak right now, but uh, I know you got a plan for me. So I just continued to work and excel at what I could control. And UC Berkeley uh, offered me a scholarship uh, a few months later. Mm. So you're obviously a, a man of outspoken, sincere faith. Um, 
yeah. So in those quieter moments, obviously, not a lot of people. I, I think not a lot of kids probably had the spiritual maturity that uh, you did. But did you did you feel that God spoke to you? Did you feel that He like gave you a, a confidence that hey, I'm 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 sparing you from these terribly gold plated helmets uh, to take you somewhere else? Like, did you feel uh, He actually met you in that moment? Man, it's, it's so crazy that you say that. It, it, I absolutely did. Because uh, I, while I was down in that basement, I was crying, I was frustrating, and uh, I was just like really angry with God. It's like, man, what else can I do? I'm watching everybody else get the blessings that I feel like I deserve. Um, and I remember yelling at God at that time, just like, God, you got to show me something. Like, I can't keep doing this and not seeing anything, you know, from it. And uh, so I did, I opened my Bible, I just like flipped it open and... Uh, Literally just opened the Bible and flipped open and it landed on the floor in my basement. And then when it landed, it opened up to Proverbs 3. And I started reading and then it starts reading Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, where it says, Trust the Lord God with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll direct your path. And at that moment, as I'm reading that, I felt as God was like speaking directly to me in my situation. And I felt this warming sensation all over my body and well, felt like God was just wrapping his arms around me. And I just instantly had this peace that really surpassed understanding at that moment. And uh, uh, I was just like, man, I just know that you got me from here. Oh, man. You know, it's funny. I, so uh, it's, I, I hear these stories all the time. And it's so funny because at church, they're always like, that is not the preferred way to hear God is to play Bible roulette because yeah. sometimes, it, sometimes it can open to the wrong verse, right? But it is funny because it's like, I feel like this is something that just happens and it's maybe just God's mercy, but like I, I just know so many people where this is the story, and the book flipped open, and there it was, just plain as day. So it's cool. You actually, you know, I guess that's what makes it a, a special book, right? Is it's not right. many books have words that you know transform you when you read it. And so you knew you didn't understand, but you knew, all right, God's got a plan for you. I'm curious. So when you finally got to Cal, I mean, you can look back now and say how blessed you are, obviously. But can, do you have any clarity now of perhaps why? He didn't want you to go to Notre Dame or any like speculation of you know things that were supposed to happen at Cal, uh, or you just hey I'm just grateful that I got to uh, you know play in the Pac-10 against schools like USC. Yeah, no, I mean for one, <laughs> I went to a superior university, so there's one thing there, <laughs> um, and and then also uh, knowing the situation that Notre Dame was in at the time. At the time, they had Tyron Willingham, who was the coach head coach of the football team. Uh, I think a year later, he was fired. So uh, if I would have went to Notre Dame, I would have been under probably a new regime, didn't, may or may not have uh, liked my skill set or known how to use me. Um, and I ended up going to Cal, which was ranked number 11th in the country in the, NF in the NCAA football team. Um, and uh, quarterback was Aaron Rodgers. Uh, out of Chico, California. Oh, yeah, I've my, heard of my him. Room, my roommate, <laughs> my roommate was uh, another fellow freshman named Marshawn Lynch, and uh, uh, just a, you know another fellow, just amazing friend and brother of mine over the years. And then I met my wife at at Cal, so it just it, it just made sense now. Oh man, it's uh well there you go. I mean you got to I've heard of Marshawn Lynch too. Uh not a bad running back uh either. So tough that's a uh, of course the other our, the other fun part is like you gotta follow that guy. So that's uh but hey that probably that probably forged you. You probably had some great practice sessions with that guy. Oh man, just like the <laughs> level of competition, um so many things that I picked up from him, just uh, you know, his style, the way he carries himself on the field, the way he works out, train. So it was great. 
So one anecdote I've read about you is that uh, you don't swear, and obviously other players are more verbose. Uh, is that something that players – was that in college, or has that been since you were in high school? And then uh, do players notice that pretty quickly? And what's kind of the effect on that? I'm generally curious because we live in a culture where we just we say a lot of stuff, and there's usually not a lot of discretion about our words, and I think people probably underestimate the power uh, of the tongue as James – uh, admonishes us. So, how, how what what led you to that decision, and then um, what's been the effect of you kind of restraining your uh, your speech? Yeah, it started early on. Uh, I mean, as a as a kid, um, you know, not you know, family parents taught me that way. Not uh, you know, choosing your words wisely, not using profanity or cuss words. Um, you know, more intelligent people find ways to express themselves outside of you know using those words. So I just kept, I kept, I kept with it. Um, I wanted, I know there's, you know, the power of life or death is in the tongue. And I wanted to make sure that I always had that under control uh, as much as possible. Uh, so I kept with it um, even to this day. I'm just very careful uh, with my words. And I don't talk a, a, a ton outside of uh, when I, what I do for work. But um, I just think that, that me not doing that, it, it allows me to, you know, have more impact and I stand out more when I'm around other people. And it's always a great conversation starter. Um, and, uh, you know, people respect it. So, so it's been good. Would the players tease you at all? Uh, or would they get sensitive when they said something? Would they look at you and be like, sorry, sorry, Justin. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, uh, we'll get that with like, uh, you're around the guys and they're like, Hey man, I know you don't do that. So, you know, I, I try to clean up my, my, uh, my talk, but, uh, most most of the time, people don't care. They they say what they want to say, especially in the locker room <laughs> setting. Uh, they don't care, what, you know, what you do. But uh, as long as you're not trying to enforce it on them, uh, everybody's cool. Did you, uh, you know, to borrow a trope like from Remember the Titans or whatever? You know, every player, every team in like in like the movie lore has like a preacher on the team. Were you the uh-huh. guy who was kind of, uh, you know, ministering to guys, or they'd come to you with you know issues, or you'd pray for them? Was that kind of a role that you? served on that team at all or any of the teams you play for for sure for sure i mean um i was very open about my faith um you know uh, people knew uh i didn't i didn't have sex until i got married uh so that was kind of known um and uh so when there was issues that popped up relationship or uh you know faith uh faith questions i, I was usually one of the guys if not the guy to, uh, to come to Awesome. All right. So you've been very open about uh, stance on marriage, uh, you know, or just the kind of the, the what worked for you guys. I'm, since you mm-hmm. since you brought it up, I'm curious for a generation that is wondering and just thinks that abstinence is absolutely insane and goes against our entire Darwinian you know genetic makeup. Um, obviously, you don't have an alternative to compare it to. But uh, what words can you speak yeah. on as far as the idea of waiting and how ludicrous that might sound uh, in our culture today? Man, um, uh, one, it was not something that I could, you know, do on my own. Um, you know, I do believe that, you know, God helped me through a lot of situations, uh, you know, to, to, to stop me, um, in times where it was really, really tempting or tough. Um, you know, when you're in the professional ranks and you're an athlete, uh, whether it's collegiate or in the professional ranks, actually, uh, you just got a lot of opportunities out there to to fall in you know certain traps 
But uh, I believe God just kind of shielded me and covered me. And uh, I was able to put some really good people around me to hold me accountable um, uh, throughout the journey because I don't think you can do it alone. Like You got to be able to have a good uh, support system around you. But just the beauty and uh, being able to have that moment with your wife um, on that that day, um, you know, it's it's all I know, so I can't compare it with anything else. But uh, it's special. I felt like I, uh, you know, was able to, uh, you know, not honor myself and my body, the temple that God given me, but also uh, just honoring God throughout that throughout that process. And uh, I don't, I still think it's possible. And uh, so obviously it worked because how many children do you have? <laughs> a five. <laughs> okay, so it was not an impediment uh, to that part of your marriage. So yeah. that's obviously worked out well. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so five kids. So yeah, five kids um, and uh, a, a wonderful marriage. So you must have a lot of free time. I'm curious uh, as a as a Christian too, with five kids and a wife and a business, uh, do you have time as a dad to go kind of get alone, get quiet, kind of? you know, do your own quiet time with the Lord? How does that look for you now versus uh, when you were a young man? Sure. Uh, I do. And, you know, you got to be intentional. You got to prioritize it. Uh, I do it the first thing in the morning when I get up. I usually get up around five or six and uh, make sure I get that that first fruit, if you will, to God and, and uh, just kind of clear my head um, and get into that space to really start my day. Um, and then that's followed by, you know, some type of, some type of physical workout. Uh, but, but yeah, I'm intentional about getting that time in, um, as well as, you know, trying to be a great businessman, a great father and a great husband throughout the day. So, oh man. Uh, so a little more NFL and then I want to get to your, uh, your business there, but, uh, do you have, uh, obviously you get to play for a bunch of different coaches and so it may have been hard moving around, but, um, I'm, uh, I'm curious, like it, is it just such a radically different experience playing under all these different coaches? Like, does each one bring such a unique, like, style and psych- and just, like, way of motivating? Uh, you must have a really interesting perspective having played for, what, seven, eight coaches in the NFL? Yeah, yeah, a lot of coaches, man, a lot of different cultures, uh, leadership styles, communication styles. Um, and it varied. It was, I mean, I've had people that, you know, were old school, like a Mike Holmgren, who will, you know, very, uh, you know, didn't you know? Didn't always choose his words wisely. Wisely it was just based off emotion. So, <laughs> uh, so you got that pretty intense coach uh, to uh, a Tony Dungy, um, a Pete Carroll, uh, Gary Kubiak. You know, uh, I had a lot of amazing John Harbaugh. Some like a lot of different styles. And um, even to this day, when I when I talk about leadership, uh, I feel like I've grabbed something from everyone. Um, and what I feel like, you know, what it takes to have to be a successful leader, whether it's in, you know, sports world or the business world. Uh, but yeah, it, it, Pete Carroll is vastly different than a, uh, than a Tony Dungy. Oh yeah, I bet. Well, uh, Pete Carroll, obviously, I'm I'm biased, but I'm a you know big fan there uh, yeah. of uh, of Coach Pete. What's uh, what's a particular moment uh, that stands out to you where a coach, uh, obviously, it's. NFL is a business, right? You're there to win. It's funny. I always I remember reading in Coach Carroll's book, like the hard part is sometimes you just got to let guys go. It's not, you know, or it's like that scene in Moneyball where it's like Pete, got to let you go. You know, it's uh-huh. not it's not like a formation like in high school. But is there a moment where a coach uh, or a leader on your team sort of crossed over into being mentor friend, or was there something that meant a lot to you 
uh, in your seasons? Man, yes. I had a couple of those uh, that I, you know, even consider, you know, strong friends uh, to this day. When I got to Baltimore, um, it was year seven in my career. I was around age 28 and uh, I had just got fired from uh, Jacksonville. And I was thinking to myself, like, if I can't play for the Jacksonville Jaguars, who can I play for? Right. They let me go after <laughs> after a season and uh and uh didn't know if I was going to play again and then I got to Baltimore they picked me up they had a situation the Ray Rice situation where they didn't know if he was going to play throughout the season so they came and got me and uh just kind of uh another body in there for camp I knew the system because they had Gary Kubiak who was my head coach in Houston uh was now the head the, the offensive coordinator so I had that tie-in, and I ended up being thrust into the lineup because my running back coach really believed in me. He didn't care about my size, the stature. He just knew I was productive, and uh, I was the best option for the team. And throughout that process of, like, still that first year uh, with Baltimore, people are still doubting even internally, didn't know if I could withstand a whole season. There's a lot of back and forth, but – uh, coach, uh, my running back coach, Thomas Hammock, he was just like pouring into me. It's like, man, you, you got us. I believe in you, man. Don't worry about the noise. Um, like I'm going to find ways to get you opportunities. So that was one guy for sure, but I have many others. Mm. Mm, that's awesome. So you, you played for uh, Coach Carroll. We just got to see, is there a fun, he loves pranks, et cetera. Do you have any uh, pranks or fun uh, Pete stories for us? Pete was always fun, man. Uh, you know, I can always go back to just him, just his style within the the facility. I, I had to that point before I got Pete in the NFL. I had uh, through two coaches, two coaches already with Seattle. So, well, actually, so I was at Seattle. Had two coaches, Mike Holman, Jim Mora, and then I had Tony Dungy within that, uh, my first two years in the NFL. And then Pete Carroll comes in, so I just had, you know this viewpoint of what a head coach would look like in the NFL and then Keith, uh, and then Pete Carroll just comes in and, and just blows that up with uh, <laughs> him going to the field with, you know, gloves on, catching the ball, him playing Snoop Dogg and blasting it in his office where the whole upstairs of the facility can hear his music. Um, and uh, just like down to earth, really passionate, a lot of energy. I mean, you talk about a guy 60 years old. Um <laughs> And uh, it was it was just really cool to see. It was refreshing uh, for me to see that. You know, he was a tough coach, but uh, his style, you know, it was really relatable. That's awesome. Now, he uh, he had some good wins. Uh, we didn't lose a game, I think, when I was at SC until my junior year. Uh, so it was oh, it was yeah. a fun. Yeah, he was he was amazing. Um, had a great match against Cal, though. I will say one of the great one of the great football games that comeback yeah. for us was uh, was impressive. Or holding them off, I should say. Yeah. Was, uh, we were almost powerful. there, though, uh, like inside the five yard line. That could have been, you know, a different story. Two thousand and four, I want to say, down in the Coliseum. That's right. But hey, we beat Notre Dame, though. Remember the Bush push? So the hey, Bush push, you did, you did. It, it, it's all right. That's right. The sins of the father repaid on generations. So we, uh, we God's God's chastisement happened. Yes. Um, so we leave the NFL, and we uh, actually, real quick, I, I'm curious with the whole CTE thing. One thing that's been really interesting is obviously it seems like people have known about this for a long time clearly i don't think anyone can plead complete ignorance right i mean you hit your head against someone enough 
uh, yeah. the, the room for uh, problems. But has it been your experience that it's just really mysterious why it seems to strike some guys harder and then other folks you're like man i think sometimes about troy aikman who had i think like 12 or 13 concussions something like that and seems to be like completely fine and then others um uh, i think it was aaron hernandez uh who was uh you know had i think a couple only played for a few years and had massive issues with it so is that something that um was talked about when you were there or is it more just starting to emerge when you were playing it was just kind of starting to emerge. You know, we were talking about uh, the movie Concussion coming out, you know, featuring Will Smith. Uh, we started more discussions around, you know, what the CTE um, is. You know, there were some conflicting reports, you know, from the NFL side. Didn't know if it was a real thing. And then, you know, we start having these other studies uh, come out um, from, I think, like Harvard University and a few other, like, Boston colleges up there that were doing research. And... Uh, you know, it is it is kind of, you know, mysterious and why it impacts people differently. Uh, but, you know, you just have the more, uh, uh, you know, playing the sport where you're banging your head against people and hitting the ground <laughs> on a consistent basis that there could be damage, uh, you know, done to the to the brain. And, uh, you know, now that you see them wearing special helmets and special padding now to kind of prevent that, trying to do a less banging in practice, where when I was in the NFL training camp, we were hitting, banging, you know, two a day, <laughs> every day. Yeah. Now, is it, so let me, would you let your kids uh, play in the NFL or do you think uh, as a parent, how do you feel about uh, football? Yeah, my, I've been holding my kids off from tackle football. Uh, my oldest is uh, 10, about to be 11. I always said around 12, I would let him, you know, uh, uh, dip his toe in if he wanted to play, which he does now. So, I, you know, I'll, I'll still let him play if he wants to uh, go down that path. And, you know, honestly, I believe that football is going to look a lot different by the time he gets uh, ready to, yeah. uh, to play. It may be looking like flag football by that time. The, nas- the National Flag Football League is coming? Yes, it's coming yeah. for sure. Oh, my gosh. So I guess at some point you just got to trust God and say, all right, I-, I played and just, you know, just trust that it's all going to work out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know, you want to be smart about it. You know, again, I expose my kids to m- other options out there to play and, you know, different sports, but if they love it and they want to pursue it, you know, um, they'll, they'll give my blessing. Now I'm sure though, as a father of five and the sleep deprivation that ensues from that, can you conclusively say that children will do far more damage to your uh, mental capacity than playing football? <laughs> Man, I tell you, it is, uh, it, yeah, yeah definitely. You talk about mental fatigue, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> you're dealing with five kids, but um, you know, they're a great blessing. I mean, I enjoy just learning and uh, learning my kids with all the different personalities and creativity that they bring uh, to the table and just trying to nurture it as much as possible. The the tough part is just like getting a time with all of them, uh, you know, at least individual time with all of them on a consistent basis, you know, because there's so many. Yeah, it's portfolio theory, man. You're like managing a mutual fund there. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So... Leave the NFL, and you, a lot of a lot of guys have a crisis of like, hey, uh, what am I going to do now? Which I, I got to imagine, when you retire, is there just a part of you that your identity is just under attack, and it's something you've known, and this and this question of like, okay, my physical prowess, because everyone has that moment, right, when they're when they realize their mortality from an athletic standpoint, and the younger guys are coming up, and and is that something that's just really hard? When you retire, is there just an emotional wave of processing what your life's going to look like and what your identity is going to be? 
You know, for me, it was different because I started my business while I was playing. Um, so, you know, I was by the time I knew, like, I wanted to move on. I had other things going. I had other passions that yeah. I was pursuing. So, you know, when I I was actually ready to go, I was like, God, I know you have more for me, and I was ready to go into you know full time uh, business mode, and you know, I was okay with not getting hit by three hundred pound men every Sunday uh, in the adjustment. So. <laughs> No, nice. all right. Um, but for a lot of guys, that is a struggle, right? I mean, do you think yes. a lot of the issues that um, athletes have in general when they retire and, you know, the financial issues is partly tied to just your whole life is one thing and then you kind of peak in your mid-late 20s and then after that it's sort of like, now what? Yeah, you find that identity crisis uh, that folks have because you've been doing it for a very long time with sport. You see it also in the military. Um, and I shoot, I see it in the entrepreneur space where you just, this thing consumes you, right? Um, and um, you spend so much time in it, you start feeling that your value is based on your performance um, and what you can give mm. to someone else. And uh, it's just very detrimental when it's stripped away or taken away from you because, you know, it's going to be taken away from you by a choice or by force and most by force when somebody's saying that, you know, we don't want your services anymore. And uh, it's a it's very challenging thing to grapple with. Um, you know, I was blessed mm. again where I played a long time, you know, playing over nine years. And, um, you know, I had I had things that were going outside of the game. But a lot of guys, they just don't have that. So when, you know, that carpet is kind of pulled from underneath you. Um, you're starting to try to figure things out and what's next and where your value comes mm. from. Feel like uh, you know had a good grasp of that because of the things I was involved in, but also because of my faith. Mm. You still uh, are there? Some mornings you wake up and you got a few uh, little reminders of playing that long in the NFL. I gotta imagine a few joints, a little muscle, a little little maybe a little you know little ruggedness in a few spots. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. Right now, I got a. I still from uh, from playing. I got a, a slight ro uh, tear in my rotator cuff in my shoulder, and I feel like it's been uh, you know causing issues for a few years now. But now it's like okay, well, I'm gonna have to go. Eventually, have to have surgery to get this taken care of. So, yeah, I have that. <laughs> um, all right, tell us about your business. Um, uh, you got some exciting news. You're launching some products and stores. I'd love to hear kind of the the inception of the founding of the company and then your journey so far and uh, where people can get their hands on all this cool stuff. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I'm the CEO and co-founder of a mission-driven self-care brand called Hustle Clean. Uh, it uh, We essentially create hygiene, wellness, and recovery products for the everyday athlete and fitness enthusiast. And it came uh, from a you know a teammate and I coming up with this concept uh, where there was no personal care items with inside the locker room. We were constantly on the go, constantly sweating, and there was no solution uh, for, you know, your hygiene needs that really resonated or spoke with us, like the Nikes and the Gatorades and the Under Armors of the world inside that space. So we wanted to create a solution. We started off with uh, our first product, which is a disposable washcloth, antibacterial toilet that removes sweat, dirt, body odor, uh, called a shower pill. And uh, we kind of put that out on the market, put it on Amazon, Grew the brand from there, the product from there. Uh, year over year, I was a side hustle while I was in the NFL. And then when I retired in 2017, fully immersed myself in the business and started launching into big box retailers. Uh, first one was Target. 
Um, now we're in places like REI, we're in Orange Theory, we're launching the Dick Sporting Goods. Uh, but it's been, you know, amazing journey. Probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but most rewarding. Um, definitely uh, some ups and downs, but but it's been great. It's been purposeful. Um, it's been something I've been, you know, passionate about, and now helping other entrepreneurs have success as well. So it's been a really cool, uh, cool journey that God has had me on. That's awesome. Now I can't see because my screen turns out, but can you hold up the um, uh, the salt, the Epsom salt and Muscle Lake? Yeah, yeah. So and tell us about uh, that. Yeah, so this is our one of our newer products. It's a uh, muscle relief soak, uh, brought to you by Hustle Clean, and we sell this uh, online uh, on hustleclean.com, but also at every Target store across the country. And uh, so after a workout, after uh, an adventure, your body is sore, you want a quick recovery, uh, an all natural recovery. Uh, this is our version of spin. Uh, on that when it comes to the uh, the muscle relief salt space. So it's really cool. Paper, uh, recycled paper is the material that we use for the container. So really eco-friendly um, and sustainable. And uh, we actually have a nice playlist that is attached to it on the UPC, UPC uh, uh, a QR code, I'm sorry, uh, that you can click on. And uh, while you're in uh, while you're in your tub soaking up, you can have your nice little tub time therapy, what we call it, and listen to some uh, some grooves. There you go. Tub time therapy. I hope, uh, hope you trademarked that or something. That's awesome. Uh, and what's, and what's, and what's in this, uh, that helps you like, how does it work? Is it a salt or is it uh, what is it? How does it work yeah. in the tub? Yeah. Yeah. So it's your traditional Epsom salt, magnesium sulfate. It's got some Arnica in there. It's got some aloe vera, uh, vitamin E in there. Um, so you, you essentially, you, you start your little warm, warm bath. Um, Pouring the salt, uh, let it sit for a little bit, and uh, you hop in, and you know you just get that that natural, um, you know, uh, uh, pain relief, muscle relief. Uh, once you're in there, just sitting for about you know 15, 20 minutes in there, and uh, feeling relaxed and uh, ready to take on the next challenge. Mm, awesome. Well, and that's and we get that now. Is that going to be available at Target everywhere? or Is that online right now? Listen to every single Target store right now. So you can go right to the Target Sporting Goods section and uh, grab your tub. Hey, with five children, a wife, and a business, I imagine you got plenty of time for tub time, right? So <laughs> it sounds, like, right. sounds like you might need one, man. Um, yeah. Well, Justin, this, this has been awesome. Uh, I so appreciate you sharing your, your wisdom with us. Uh, as kind of a final um, parting uh, thought here, uh, I always love asking people, I meant, to, I meant to ask, how did you meet your wife and then... Do you feel that God was involved in that? Or do you feel that uh, that was like, I always love asking people like, did you choose it? Do you think God invited you to choose it? Uh, what's kind of been your love story? No, I, so I met her in college. Uh, we met freshman year, uh, met in a study hall center and Cesar Chavez Center right there in the uh, middle of Berkeley campus. And uh, she was dating someone at the time. And uh, me and one of my teammates, we were just going around study hall, not studying and uh, looking for girls. And uh, <laughs> I, I think, uh, I do think God had a hand in it, uh, just connecting us. So many similarities, so much synergy uh, where we grew up. And uh, we started off as friends. And uh, after a, a while of being friends, we actually double dated a few times when I ended up getting a girlfriend. And uh, and uh, when I broke oh, really? up. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's kind of weird, right? Uh, <laughs> 
we after a few uh uh a few months or at least a year of just being friends and we decided to uh to try our hand in a relationship and uh been together ever since so going on 13 years of marriage or just finished up 13 years of marriage um and uh five kids later wow that's amazing all right so what's your take home message uh to all the young people uh as far as picking a spouse going on how starting a family all that oh man picking a spouse in 2023 is a lot different i feel like in uh, than it was in 2004 um i like my advice is finding someone um that you genuinely uh have a a, a bond with like as a real friend um that you know all of their uh, junk and they know all of your junk and the bad side. Um, I really, I really feel like, you know, that first year, most people, you don't really get that true authentic version of that person you're with, um, until you have your, your first arguments. So if you can handle <laughs> the arguments you can handle the bad side of, of that person and you have a true bond and relationship with that person, I feel like you can go far. Uh, I feel like if you have that, that mutual respect, um, and, um, yeah, that willingness to be able to, to compromise and serve that person and learn with that person on a daily basis, uh, I think, you you know, the su- success is inevitable because from there it's a choice. You're going to choose to love that person every single day. You know, all their faults, you know, all their struggles, uh, but you're choosing to learn and grow with them. Because we're all going to grow, we're all going to evolve, we're all going to change. I, I know people use this, you know, you know, when they get a divorce, they talk about we fell apart or we we grew out of love. And I just believe that, you know, we all are changing, we all are growing. Uh, if we're doing life right, um, you just got to choose to make sure that you're loving and growing along with your partner along the way, and that's when you'll start seeing uh, longevity and success with your marriage. Hmm. Amen. Wise words. Wise words, my man. Well, Justin, thank you so much for uh, joining us. I know how precious little time you have, and I hope that you are headed straight for the tub so you can get (laughs) your own tub time. Uh, It's a recharge. But uh, thanks for joining us. This has been Justin Forsett, and he is actually uh, making all his products available everywhere to everyone. Please go check them out. They're fantastic. And uh, Justin, thanks for camping with us, man. I appreciate you, Ryan. Thank you so much. Absolutely.